Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. As we kick off this series, today we're going to focus in on one specific area of the Trinity of the Father. But each week, we want to be able just to help explain the Trinity to you, to give you some details of what that looks like. Help, uh, it, Honestly, it's one of, if not the most difficult doctrines of our faith to understand. It's really complicated. And there's like illustrations, there's metaphors that none of them do it justice. And so it's really difficult because the Bible clearly and obviously states things like the Lord is one. There is no God but one. There is one God. But the Bible also clearly shows the concept of three persons acting as God. Now those three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're familiar with this, this, this thought, this idea, if you've spent any time uh, in the church. Maybe you grew up in church or maybe even more recently, but you've heard this statement of the Trinity. The thing is, is that these three things are one in essence, but three in person. Some of the illustrations you might have heard over the years, something like a three-leaf clover, right? Three different leaves all connected with the stem. I'm not really a fan of that one because those three leaves don't act independently of each other. They're always stuck together. There's also the illustration of like H2O. You can have uh, you know, a liquid, a solid, or a gas. But the problem with that one is it can't be all three of those, same, those things at the same time. So there's really just a struggle to find like a good illustration. But one of my favorite illustrations that I feel like is a, let's say, I'm going to say a better one. It's not a great one because I don't know that there is a great one, is the idea of a musical chord of three notes. Three notes existing in the same time and space, each making its own beautiful sound, but united together makes one unified sound while each note is still itself. So you play the three different notes. They all have their own sound. They all do their own thing. But when you put them together, you play all three, still making their own sound, but they make one unified sound together. Now, the Trinity is biblical doctrine for Christianity due to it being implicitly taught throughout the entire word of God. There is not just this one like Bible verse I can point you to saying, hey, look at this Bible verse right here. This says the Trinity is three in one and it's three, you know, one essence, three persons. There's not that verse, but that's why you take the whole context of the Bible and see this. What we see in the Old Testament, the Father, the one true God who is taught throughout the Old Testament. But then given what the Bible teaches about the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, they must also be fully divine. So Understanding this, we must move them within the nature of the one God. Kind of move them within the walls of this one God, this triune God, the Trinity. And therefore, there are three fully divine persons in God that we call the Trinity. It may seem a little paradoxical, but this is what God has revealed to humankind throughout the entire Bible. If you learn anything today, learn this. It's important to read in the whole thing to take all of it into context, to not cherry pick Bible verses and to say, oh, it says this. No, to put them all in using all of scripture to put things together and to understand this, which leads me to this, our definition of the Trinity right here on your notes. The Trinity is one God made up of three distinct persons working together to accomplish God's mission on earth. We have and we serve one God that has three parts working together, that each plays its own part in the mission, but all three of those together make the mission, or excuse me, accomplish the mission fully. So just like in a, in a chord that I mentioned a moment ago, just like the C, E, and G notes work together to make one melodious sound in a C chord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together to make one glorious God. They work together. Three different parts working together. And they've been there since the beginning. 
Look at Genesis 1, 26. We're only 26 verses into the Bible. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So he's getting ready to create man. God is creating man in this moment. Nobody else has been created. But it says, let us, as in more than one. Like, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. All three persons of God were there at the beginning of creation. And the most important part is this, that they are all still here. They're all still working. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But there is only one God. His greatness and his mystery are so great that the idea of the Trinity, I think it's just so complex and so unfathomable that we can't fully grasp it maybe on this side of heaven. But it's one of those that when I meet God face to face, I'll be like, I got to ask you about this Trinity thing. Like I, I got, like I have thought about this, like, man, it's just, it's just a hard concept to grasp. It really is. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a passage out of John 6. It's going to be kind of our primary focus uh, throughout the time together this morning. And we're going to begin in verse 25. It says in verse 25, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, why, or excuse me, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And look at this statement here. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. On him, Jesus, God the Father has set his seal. Which leads me to the very first truth that I want you to know and to hear today, and that's this. The Father validates the Son as the Messiah. He validates the Son as the Messiah. This statement that is made uh, here, and we see these statements from Jesus where he is claiming to be God's Son, he is claiming to be Messiah, these statements have huge theological implications. Why? Because this would be heresy to claim this otherwise. It would be wrong, it would be punishable to claim these things if it's false. See, Jesus claims he is God's Son, the Messiah, but anyone can say that, can't they? Anyone can come out and say, I'm I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. Anybody can say it. But you need support. You need validation to back it up. Now, it could have been the miracles that he has already done at this point. Actually, we're in John 6, 25 to 27. In the 24 verses before this, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. We see Jesus walking on water. There's also other miracles even before that. Like, they have seen some things. And these miracles could have been what backed it up. Could have been what supported him being the son of God. Or it could have even been John the Baptist proclaiming that the Messiah is coming, that Jesus is the Son of God that is making his way. Or it could have also been the fulfillment of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies all fulfilled in the body and blood of Jesus Christ and who he is. That could have been enough evidence right there. But the best validation comes from the voice of God the Father himself. If you think about Scripture again as a whole, we're looking in John 6, but in Mark 1, this isn't going to be on your notes, but in Mark 1, you've got the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is being let down into the water, where he's being raised up, and it says that the the Spirit descends on him like a dove, so you have the Holy Spirit there, but then you also have the Father who speaks with a voice saying, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Father is validating the Son in that moment. But also in Luke 9, verse 35, you see the transfiguration of Jesus happening. And God the Father, again, has this audible voice that speaks out and says, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
The father's voice from heaven shouts out, this is my son. I tell you what, if I wasn't convinced by the miracles and all that, when I would hear the voice of God saying, this is my son, listen to him, I'm convinced. Like, I'm in. Like, I hear the, oh my gosh, like, I'm, I'm in. Like, this is the son of God right here because the father has validated the son. The father's claim, the validation of the father says everything. I think back to uh, 18 years ago when I decided I was going to propose to my wife. And one of the things I knew that I needed to do was talk to her dad and ask permission to marry my wife. And so my, I knew that. My, my wife, you know, she, she knew this. Like, this was something that was expected. This is something I wanted to do. And so I had asked him, but my wife didn't know that I'd asked him. And so uh, as a uh, seminary student, you know, I was, uh, I was really rolling in the money as a part-time worker and a full-time seminary student, let me tell you. So I splurged for this, uh, this proposal, and we went to the spaghetti factory in Louisville, Kentucky. Man, we went, and I'm talking fine dining here, okay? Spaghetti factory in Louisville, Kentucky. I then got us the little horse and carriage ride for the two of us down to the river, Ohio River, on the banks of the river. I said, hey, let's get out. Let's take a picture. And so we get out and we stand down. And I drop down on one knee and I begin my speech that I've been practicing for weeks, of which I don't remember any of it today. But I give this whole speech. But the part that I do remember is that when I get to the part where I say, with the permission of your father, and your mother and the dogs, that's a whole nother story. But with the permission of your father, will you marry me? And she said, yes. Now, in that moment, there were 200 sorority girls that were lined up for something right there. And they went bananas. They went crazy and it was cool. But aside from that, later on, I found out from my wife that the whole time I was giving my speech, she was like, he hasn't talked to my dad. He hasn't asked my dad. He hasn't asked my dad. But then when I said, with the permission of your father, it all changed. She was like, okay, he's already talked to him. You see, the, the permission of the father validated the, the question that I was getting ready to ask. The father's validation of Jesus as his son changes everything about him and for us. It changes it all. When he validates the son, God's son requires a different response of us than that being him of being some you know, good teacher, some prophet, maybe just some good guy that's you know, some mad, you know, illusionist magic guy. Like none of that that people would say that he is. When it changes, when the father validates the son, says, this is my son. God's statement about him carried the most weight. If we read on in John 6, verse 28, it says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from, the, from heaven and gives life to the world. This verse is here, what we can learn from this and what we can draw from this is point number two. The Father is sovereign over all creation. The Father is sovereign over all creation. Now, to be clear, I want to make sure we understand what the word sovereign means. Sovereign means one, in this case, God, who exercises absolute power without limitation or oversight. He is the one who is sovereign. He is autonomous, who rules with absolute power. He is always ruling over his creation, like you and me, and no one no one can overtake him. His power is absolute. It's complete and it's independent of anyone or anything. He's in complete control. So God, including all three persons, created the world. And he created the world in what's called ex nihilo. Now, this statement, ex nihilo, means out of nothing. 
means he created the world out of nothing. It means he didn't have you know, things. He didn't have wood and concrete and rock and all these things just to put together to create the world, that he created it out of nothing. Now, uh, one of, a great movie from years ago, about 20 years ago, uh, the movie Castaway. You guys seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Love that movie, right? Great movie, one guy talking by himself the whole time. It's awesome. It's, in, it's enthralling, right? Other than Wilson, we'll count him as a person too. But in this movie, Castaway, do you remember the part where Tom Hanks and his character has created the fire, has made this big fire, and he's standing there with his shirt off and he's beating his chest. He's like, I, I have created fire. I have created fire. He didn't create fire. He had sticks. He had some brush. He had some different things that all went together to make the fire. But God had no building blocks. He had no wood and earth and stone. He had no Legos. He didn't have anything. He didn't have anything. Only thing he had was his absolute power, and he created the world out of nothing. Out of nothing. If you look at Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, Paul is speaking right here in Colossians 1, and he's saying, uh, he's speaking here to the preexistence of the Son before creation and the sustaining work of the Son in creation still. He says, all things were created through him and for him, and in him all things hold together. He's also speaking to the fact of the, the Holy Spirit, who's this connection between us and God. The Holy Spirit, as we know uh, in Scripture and what we see in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is the helper who's sent to enable us to do the will of God. But he's also indwelling inside of us so that we can actually uh, be empowered in our own calling, in our own faith to be who God wants us to be. Our perseverance in this world, as, in, in our faith as a believer, only comes and only is possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. These things work together. All three persons existed before creation and the Trinity continues to work together to create, rule, and sustain all of creation, including us, including you and including me. The Father embraces us as his children and reigns over us as our godly authority. Here's one of the issues. We have given too much authority over to the things of this world. We have given too much authority to stuff and possessions, to money. Like if I just, just can get enough money to be able to do the things I want to do, to be able to have the things I want to have, like my life will have some worth or some value. If I can just gain enough possessions, enough things, enough stuff into my life, if I just have these things, I will have identity and I will have meaning and power and, and I will, this will be who I am if I could just have these things. Or maybe even a little closer to home. If my kids will just be successful, if my kid will just be a stud athlete or an amazing student or have some amazing job, like I will have value at that point because look what I did with my kid. Or maybe it's something like sports. How many times have you and me, we've cheered for our teams and said, we won, we won the championship, we won the game. I didn't play. I wasn't on the team but I acted as if I was like, I have value because we won. They don't even know who I am. Like, but my team won, so I have value in that and I find my identity in that. And we put our identity, or excuse me, we give you know, this authority to other people like celebrities, like because somebody made a millions of dollars doing a movie, all of a sudden they're wise. They have wisdom because of that, because of an ability or a talent that they have. Or maybe it's something like, a substance that we've given authority to over our lives, where we've allowed it to rule and run who we are. Maybe it's sex, relationships, that if I could just have 
one more one night stand, one more relationship, one more drug, one more drink, whatever it may be. And we've given power over to these things when we need to stop giving power to these things. And we need to stop worship, worshiping creation and we need to start worshiping the creator. See, there are things in this world that we continue just to put value in that have been created, that have been built up and that have been made. And what we need to do is to start giving, moving and shifting our focus to worshiping on God the creator. God the Father, who is sovereign over all creation. If you read along in John 6, 34, it says, They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is an important passage of scripture right here. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It goes on in verse 36. It says, I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For those I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now, this leads to our third thing that I want you to consider today, and that's this. The Father always protects and provides for his children always protects and provides. The father wants to adopt you into his family as his own. He will always protect you. He will always provide for you. And we live in a world today where parents, leaders, authorities will constantly fail us, don't we? Why? Well, because they're imperfect. They're sinful people. They, they make mistakes just like you and I do. And we constantly have been failed over and over. I grew up uh, in, a, in a home where my parents were divorced when I was five years old. I had an amazing mom that I got to live with, and then I saw my dad every other weekend. And I can tell you this, that I was failed many, many times by my dad. Many times. I could tell you hundreds of stories. But one story that seemed to be repetitive in my life as a kid that I constantly felt was that every other weekend when my dad was supposed to pick me up at 6 o'clock on Friday night, and then he would return me on Sunday at 6 o'clock, I can't tell you how many times that I would be sitting there with my bag, ready to go, clothes loaded up, some fun stuff to take with me, to hang out with my dad on the weekend, sitting on the couch, watching on the window, six o'clock rolls around, no dad. 6.05, no dad. 6.20, no dad. Seven o'clock, eight o'clock, no dad, no call. I can't tell you how many times that I sat there wondering, why am I having to go through this? Why am I, why, why won't he, why is he forgetting to pick me up? Why is he like, not wanting to spend time with me? All the thoughts that creeped into my head as a kid. But when I became a teenager, here's what I realized. That I may have a uh, sinful, imperfect father right here on this earth, but I have a perfect father in heaven that would never leave me, that would never fail me, that would never forget about me. You have that same father available to you as well. The Father has this perfect plan to redeem you to himself. He wants to bring you into his family. In verse 35, it said here a moment ago that Jesus said to them, I am the bread of the life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, God provides uh, his, son for, uh, his son Jesus so that we are taken care of. He has given us this bread of life. When we have Jesus, we will never have to hunger. We will never have to thirst. We have this spiritual, soulful fulfillment in Jesus in our life. And it's all because the Father said, I'm giving him to you. The Father is providing for us. He is protecting us. Here's what I want you to know is that you can't out God's love and you haven't already done so much that you were beyond him loving you. Every one of you, God wants you just as you are right now. 
He wants you as a part of his family. He wants to invite you in to his fold. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what this statement is saying. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of this, that the Father loves me and that there's nothing I can do that would make him love me any less. There's nothing you can do. You can't out-sin God's love and you haven't already done too much that he can't love you as you already are. No one can take you from the Father's hands, not even yourself or your sin. You see, the Father's love for you is far-reaching. It's unbreakable. If you look at, back up in these verses of, uh, of John 6, uh, there's statements from Jesus saying, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He will never cast you out. And in verse 39, he says, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, that you are in the hands of the Son, that you are in the hands of God the Father, that he, you are in his hands, and nothing, no one can take you out of his hands. He is reaching out his hands, inviting you to come into his fold, into his family, adopt you into his family so that you can experience that and be protected and be provided for and to spend an eternity with him. And nobody can ever take you out of his hand. No substance, not yourself, not your sin. You cannot remove yourself from the hands of God because he is all powerful and he is almighty. And he wants you as a part of his family. If you read on in John 6, verse 40, it says, for this is the will of my Father. What's the will of my Father? Right here he says, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now looking at this verse, this is the will of my Father. That everyone, uh, the will is this, anyone, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. So to look to Jesus and to believe in Jesus, when you put those things together with our, our role in this, meaning that we look at him and that we believe in him, that we receive what? Eternal life. It's this kind of this equation to look at the son and to believe in him means that we will get to experience eternal life. Not to just know things about Jesus, but to actually believe in him and, his, and who he is and his righteousness and his holiness and his work in our life. And we get to experience eternal life. And then, as it says at the end of that verse, I will raise him up on that last day, that we will be resurrected and that we will be in heaven with God for all eternity, all because we looked to the son, Jesus, and that in that moment we believed in him and we get to experience eternal life. Awesome. That's amazing. Which leads to number four. The father gives eternal life to anyone who believes in his son. To anyone who believes in his son. See, God sends his son who breaks down the barrier of Jew and Gentile to say that anyone can come before him and anyone can receive his free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus. He is providing this. He is giving us eternal life. God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross in your place so that you do not have to. He's paying the price for you. He is paying the ultimate price for you. It's this, this, uh, this definition, this term called substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement means that he is substituting himself. He is putting himself in your place. He is taking the sin and the punishment that is meant for you on himself. And then what we need to do is to simply look to him and to believe in him to be, have our sin atoned for, to experience freedom. God's gift of salvation is for everyone to receive. 
you are not too far gone. You haven't done too much sin. You haven't walked away too far. You haven't been away from him too far and never even looked to him. You haven't rejected him too many times to out-sin his love because it's for everyone to receive. Now, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3, 16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's look at this verse for just a moment. God loved. He loved. He didn't just love some, he loved individuals, he loved the world. He loved everybody. God loved the world and he loved us so much that he gave his only son. He shows love, but then he shows generosity in the way that he gives. And he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That when we would simply believe in and surrender our life to Jesus, meaning that we would give everything that we are to him, that we get to experience an unperishable life. Now, we have a physical life that will all perish. The death rate's right around 100%, give or take, right? Like it's really close. We're all gonna perish. But what we're speaking of here is not this earthly temporary life. We're speaking of an eternal soul life that we get to experience eternity with God in heaven. When we would simply believe in him. You know, just uh, two days ago on Friday, uh, we lost uh, the Christian community, one of the most influential pastors, theologians, and authors over the past 30 years. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer City Church, who had a huge influence on me over the years. I've never met him, read a ton of his books and uh, articles and interviews and all these kinds of things. Uh, but he passed away after a long-filled life of ministering to people and really investing in other pastors and uh, in the Christian community. And one of the quotes that's always stuck with me from him is this, all death can do to a Christian is make their lives infinitely better. That's all it can do. If you are a Christian and you have surrendered your life to Jesus, when you die and you leave this earth, it only gets better. That this is the worst that it gets. Now, the adverse side of that is if you don't have a relationship with Christ, this world that we're experiencing now, this is the best that it gets. And so when you read a passage of scripture like John 3, 16, to understand that God loved you and gave his son for you, that you would just need to believe and to surrender to him that you wouldn't perish eternally, but you would have eternal life with him. Your faith, your salvation, and your eternity are not held in your knowledge of God, but in your love for God. Well, who would pursue a people that constantly deny him? Our God. What God would go as far as sending his only son to die for those same people who reject him continuously? Our God. And what God would love you so much that despite your sin, your struggles, and your disobedience, he would still invite you in to be a part of his family so that he can be your everlasting father, our God. The only question now is this. Will you accept this gift of adoption into the family of God by surrendering yourself to him through repenting of your sin and confessing him as Lord and Savior? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from doesn't matter what language you speak. doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have, what job you have or don't have. doesn't matter how much knowledge of the Bible that you have. The only thing that matters is that you would know and understand that God loves you, that the Father has sent his son Jesus to die in your place for your sin 
and that you haven't done enough sin that he wouldn't love you now, today, right here where you're at. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to be able to respond uh, after that. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, Father, we are so grateful for your word. Father, how it can speak to each and every one of us. And God, right now, I want to pray over those that are in this room. Father, that they would understand, Father, that they have a father that loves them, that would never never leave them and never forsake them. Father, for those that are watching online as well, that they can realize and know and understand that they haven't sinned too much, that they haven't gone too far wrong in the wrong direction. The Father, that each and every one of us here in person and watching online, God, that we can understand that we have a Father in heaven that will never fail us, that will always walk hand in hand, side by side with us. And that, God, that all we need to simply do is understand that you loved us, that you love us so much that you gave, and you gave your Son, Jesus Christ. And that all we need to do, any one of us, is to believe in him so that we would not perish, but we would have eternal life. Father, I pray that everybody knows that all they need to simply do is to admit that they are a sinner, to believe in your son, Jesus, and to confess him as Lord today. Father, that's my hope. That's my prayer during this time. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.